we've been for the last quite a long time. And we're, to, today we're really coming into the, the final straight of Mark's gospel. Um, things become very, very clear that we're heading towards the death of Jesus. And that's what we're going to begin to look at today and look at over the coming weeks. So um, I'm going to read Mark chapter 14, verses um, 1 to 11. And then we're going to get our heads around this a little bit together. So let's, let's read. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I wonder this afternoon, as we come to God's word, are you expecting, are you expecting that God might speak to us this afternoon? That we might understand this passage in a way which really helps us to see Jesus more clearly? That we don't just fill our heads, but we fill our hearts. Why don't we pray and ask that God would do that, yeah? Let's pray. Father, please speak, we pray. We've already been singing. We've heard of your great faithfulness. We've heard testimony to how good you are. And we pray that now, by your Spirit, you'd speak to us. We pray that where we're sleeping, you'd wake us up. Where our hearts are cold, you would warm us up. And where we feel unexcited about you, that this afternoon we would see why you are worthy of our worship. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think you can miss it, really, when I read the story. At the heart of this story, there is an extravagant act. I mean, it's not difficult to understand. It's not, a, it's not a hard story, this. An extravagant act, a dinner party, an unnamed woman comes in, pours this perfume all over Jesus' head, and this question swirls around. This is the question. Why this waste? Why this waste? That's the question that is at the center of this story. It is so clear to the people watching that this is an utter waste, a shameful waste, pitiful. To waste something so precious. In fact, it's not even just, it's not even that they think it's a bit bad. They think it's utterly wrong. They think she's rot. They think it's an evil thing. They're accusing her and rebuking her harshly. Such is the strength of their feeling. What waste. To simply pour it all away. Every last drop. Why this waste? But Jesus sees it differently. And we need to see that as well. There is something here that we need to be gripped by something that we need to breathe in deeply. 
We need to see if we can see the same beauty that Jesus saw. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves driven, if you like, away from this woman's act to another act. Another act of extravagant love. You see, the extravagant actions of this woman set in motion an even more extravagant act. They are the prelude to the final chapter of Mark's gospel. They set in motion the route to the cross. That is clear from Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Just look at it with me again. Now, the Passover and the festival unleavened bread were only two days away. So Mark says, look, you need to understand this. You need to know where we are. The Passover is coming. What's the Passover? Well, we've already been thinking about the way that God's people celebrated their rescue from Egypt. Well, here it is. This was the time every year when they would take a lamb and they would sacrifice a lamb and the lamb would die and they would remember the way that God saved them out of Egypt by the death of a lamb. And the lamb was given and every year they would celebrate this feast in order to remember. Mark says it's two days away. It's coming. It's coming. And you know what's coming at that very moment when the sacrificial lamb would die. Jesus would be nailed to a cross and his blood would be poured out. He is the lamb. Mark wants us to know this is coming. And the chief priests, we're told, and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. You see, that's the plot. He's heading towards his death. Mark is crystal clear. As you see the woman pouring out her perfume on Jesus' head, you have to understand that we're about to watch Jesus pour out his life on the cross. And the same question swirls around Jesus. Why this waste, Jesus? Why are you wasting your life? Why are you giving your life in this way? A man with such potential, just think, all right, from what we've read of Jesus in Mark's gospel, just think of what he could have achieved. The way he could heal the sick with just a touch, the way he could calm a storm, the way he could feed crowds of people, the way he had that power. Just think of if he'd had another 30 years on earth, the people he could have helped, and yet his life is tragically cut short. Why this waste? He could have done so much, and yet he just pours his life away, every last drop of it. What a waste. And it's fascinating because the chief priests and teachers of the law, they say, we don't want to do it during the feast, not during the feast because the people may riot. You know what? It is going to happen during the feast. Because Jesus is going to die when he decides he's going to die. Jesus is sovereignly in control. It is Jesus pouring out his life. No one takes it from him. So can you see that this question that swirls around this story actually swirls through the rest of Mark's gospel? Why this waste? Why this extravagant act of wastefulness? We understand this woman's act. We understand the cross. That's what we're about this afternoon. But before we get into that, let's just think about this this thing of waste. It's a big issue in our culture, isn't it? To waste your life is like the biggest crime. To waste stuff. I don't know if you're the sort of person who, you know, you have a bottle of tomato sauce and it really stresses you out. If you, there's stuff still in there. You can see it's in there, but it won't come out. I don't know whether you're a tipping up and leaving till it all comes down to the bottom, or whether you're just hack the top off, or whether you're just a 
Life's too short. I'm putting it in the bin. <laughs> but to waste, we have this inbuilt thing that to waste is, is serious. There's a, there's a very old film, like from 1973 or something. Uh, so like proper old. And um, in, in the film, there's a man who has a dream. And in the dream, uh, he, he meets this judge. And there's a kind of a courtroom. And it, the whole film is about this guy who's been accused of a crime that he claims he's innocent of. And he appears before this judge, and, he, and the judge says, do you know what you're accused of? And he says, yes, I'm accused of this crime, but I'm innocent. And the judge says, no, you're not accused of that. And then the judge says this, you know the charge. Yours is the most terrible crime a human being can commit. I accuse you of a wasted life. And the penalty is death. And the man in the film walks away saying, I'm guilty. You know, I think it haunts us. Certainly it haunts me. What if I get to the end of my life and I wasted it? What if I get to the end of my life and there's nothing to show? And to waste money, to waste food, to waste time, we hate it. I think we fear it. This question that swirls around this story, this question that swirls around the death of Jesus, also swirls around our lives. Why this waste? What have you done with your life? And how do you decide if you've wasted your life or not? Who gets to say? You understand this story, you understand the cross, and you understand what it means to not waste your life. That's got to be worth the effort this afternoon. That's what we're about. That's what Mark confronts us with. Right, I've got, a, I've got a definition of waste. I'm not sure if this is particularly helpful, but I'll share it with you and, and um, we'll use this as we go through a little bit. Um, my definition of waste for this afternoon is this, and it doesn't cover everything, but it's the best I could do. Investing a lot, achieving little. That's waste. When you invest a lot and achieve little, that's the definition of waste as far as I can see. So you know the 2P machines at the arcades with those things? Yeah? Surely you know these. Surely you've all wasted hours of your time and hundreds of pounds. You invest a lot, right? You get all your two Ps and you put them all in and you achieve very little. That's the S, that's waste, all right? It's a lot of fun, but it's, you know, it's waste, uh, as I keep telling my children. <laughs> so here's the issue, right? We want to make sure that we invest a lot in that which will achieve a lot. We want to make sure we invest our lives in that which is worthwhile. Right, let's get into the story. Here's how the story works. There's one extravagant act. There are two verdicts, and the verdicts are very different. We need to understand them. Here's the extravagant act. Let's look at exactly what happens. Um, we're told in verse 3, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar. Now, this is interesting. So he's at a dinner party. Okay, Jesus spent a lot of time at dinner parties. If you've got some idea of Jesus as being some recluse who was like lived in a cave and on his own, no, people wanted his company. He was a magnetic character. People wanted him to come to their home. Here's a weird thing, though, right? If someone says to you, hey, my name's Simon the leper. Do you want to come to my house for tea? I'm not sure, actually. Leprosy's not that. It's a big deal in this culture. 
made you unclean. If someone with leprosy makes you dinner, that's awkward. (laughs) Which I presume must mean that this is a man who doesn't have leprosy anymore. I presume that means this must be a man that Jesus has healed. Doesn't that, we're not told that, but surely that's what's going on. Surely this is a man who had leprosy, but he's been cleansed. And he's holding a dinner party, and Jesus comes to his house. And they're reclining at the table. That's a very normal thing in, in those days. You'd, you'd lie down, it'd be a low t- table, much like this, really. This is a perfect table, this little stage, to eat from. Uh, you'd kind of lie down with your... your um, well, you know what lying down is. It's lying down. <laughs> it's like not sitting up. And, uh, and you'd, have your, you'd be having your discussions. And then into the situation comes um, a woman, which would be unusual. Normally, it would just be the men who would recline at the table. And this woman comes into the situation. And, and it's just fascinating the way that Mark tells us the story. It's a risky move. She says nothing. There are no, there's no words. She just walks in. And she comes with this jar of very expensive perfume. It's made of pure nard. If I knew what that was, I'd be impressed. (laughs) The problem I've got is, I remember this from being a kid, it's the only word I can liken it to is lard. And I just don't see that as very valuable. Actually, nard is a a very expensive, uh, it comes from India. It would have been imported probably all the way from India, which is a big deal in Israel, right? So it's a massively expensive thing. She comes in, she breaks the jar, and she pours it all on his head. I I love, there's a real simplicity to this act, isn't there? There's something very simple about what she does. She says nothing, she simply brings the most valuable thing that she owns, and she pours it all over Jesus. There's no holding back. There's nothing half-hearted here. She's a cut-the-bottle-open girl to get it all out. She breaks the bottle. There's no going back. Just imagine you're in that room. I mean, it's it's got to have gone silent. It's got to have gone quiet. And suddenly you are confronted with the most overpoweringly beautiful smell that you've ever smelled. The whole room would have been filled with this phenomenal scent. A smell of such beauty, more than they'd ever experienced before. Now the good thing is, because the crowd get all kind of like, nah, 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 we know how much it's worth. You see, because they have a go at her, this could have been sold for a year's wages. A year's wages. That's how much we're talking. I don't know, I don't know, it's always different, it's dangerous this. <laughs> To pick a figure. Let's go somewhere between 20 and 20,000 as a kind of a. 20 and 20. What did I say? 20 and 20. That doesn't work. 20 and 25,000. Let's go somewhere somewhere on that. We're talking about that's 20,000 pounds. That's, that's what we're talking That is what she's doing. I have bought perfume a few times in my life. And believe me, it is expensive. I have been shocked at how much a little bought, but I haven't spent that much. 20,000 pounds in that moment. All of it's gone. 
We don't know. It, it, presumably, it's her most treasured possession. It's probably a family heirloom. It's, perhaps it's her financial security. Perhaps, whatever it is, it's a lot. And she breaks it open and pours it out. It would be hard to imagine a more extravagant moment. And every eye in the room is now on Jesus and on this woman. You can imagine her heart beating. It's an extravagant act of devotion and love. The woman has seen something in Jesus that has so compelled her that she believes he is worthy of this act. She's invested everything in Jesus, right? That's, that's what she's invested. It's not prudent. It leaves her exposed. It's not particularly wise. Can I tell you from John's Gospel, I think we know who this woman is. Uh, her name's Mary. And her brother was called Lazarus. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Perhaps you can see why she values Jesus so highly. She's not interested in how much it costs. She's interested in how much Jesus is worth. So there's silence in the room. But here's the sound that breaks the silence. Do you see it? It's a verdict. It's a sound of muttering and anger from the guests. They are clear. Here is their verdict. This is a waste. Look at what they say. They are indignant. And they say it to one another. Interesting this, isn't it? People who are moaning and grumbling always moan to each other. They never moan to the person who's actually done it. It's always a sign of a grumbler. Some of those present were saying... Why this waste? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. What is the point, they say? Here's the definition, right? She's invested everything and she's achieved nothing. Okay, we all smell nice, but that's it. £20,000 just to smell nice. This is a waste. It's achieved nothing. And look, they've got a point, haven't they? Difficult not to go... All the perfume's gone. All of that potential, all of that resource. Think what it could have done. It's gone. The money could have been used for the poor. And these are Jesus' disciples, okay? These aren't his enemies having a go. These are his disciples. These are his closest friends saying this. Do you see the criteria by which they make this, their verdict? You've got to see this, okay? How do they decide it's a waste? Their horizon is driven by what they see, okay? Two things. One, they see the value of the, of the perfume. They're absolutely obsessed with how much it's worth. Do you see how much it's worth? Money, money, money. That's their thinking. They're thinking all the time about the value of the perfume. That's it. You know, if I bought in this afternoon a, a, a diamond necklace that was worth five million pounds, okay, and I, and I wore it. I put it around my neck. You would be captivated by it. Even more than by my beautiful face. Because there's something about a valuable object which is so captivating. That's worth £20,000. That's all they can see. That's what they can see. So their criteria is based on the value of the thing. They're obsessed with how much it's worth. And they're and their second criteria is based on what they can see around them. They say, if you're going to invest in something, invest in fixing the world's problems now. That's what counts. 
This is what matters. There are poor people. Get the money to the poor people. That's the criteria. And on that basis, they say, this is a waste. Now, just imagine the woman at this point. You'd be terrified, wouldn't you? Imagine her beginning to think, did I get this? Have I just totally misjudged this? Have I got this completely wrong? Look, the disciples, there's, there's Peter and Judas and these guys who I know and, and who are followers of Jesus and they're rebuking me. Have I got this wrong? They would be crushing words to hear. And then Jesus speaks and this is magnificent. Look what Jesus says. Leave her alone. Do you see how he protects her? Do you see how he leaps to her defense? Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Where the guests see waste, Jesus sees beauty. This is where we really need to understand, right? This is where we need Jesus to redefine our ideas of a wasted life. There are four criteria by which Jesus assesses this act. Okay, we're going to do this quickly. Don't worry, this isn't like, oh man, it's another four points. Yeah, there are, but it's all right. Um, four things, all right, that make this a beautiful act. You need to get these, okay? Firstly, she valued Jesus above anything. She valued, valued Jesus above everything. She has reckoned on Jesus being of greater worth than all the riches of the world. Look, she knew about the poor, okay? She knew the poor existed. And I don't think this is a heartless, who cares about the poor? Nothing to do with that. But this is a woman who sees beyond the immediate to see the ultimate. She sees something of such value. And let me just say, this is really important. When Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, sometimes you hear Christians use that and to say, oh, well, Jesus says we're always going to have the poor, so what's the point of trying to wipe out poverty? What's the point of trying to fight poverty? That's not what Jesus is saying. Absolutely not. Jesus is passionately committed to the cause of the poor and the oppressed and the orphan and the widow. Passionately committed. But that is not ultimate. He is ultimate. He is of greater value and greater worth than anyone or anything. We're not supposed to shrug our shoulders at the poor. But he's saying this woman is expressing it right. See, look, look again what Jesus says. She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She values Jesus above anything. She's not concerned to please the crowd. She's not concerned to fit in. She was sh- captivated by the sheer worth of Jesus. That makes her act beautiful. How highly do you... We value Jesus. She's not coming thinking, 20,000 pounds, 20,000 pounds. I'm giving away 20,000 pounds. I'm about to smash 20,000 pounds. That hasn't even thought crossed her mind. She's coming thinking like this. He's so worthy. He's so worthy. He's so wonderful. I would give anything for him. Do you see it? That's the difference. We are too like the disciples. We're obsessed with how much things are worth. And we're constantly saying, oh, but I, if I gave that, it would be all, it's all this, it's all. She valued Jesus above everything. Here's the second one. 
She acted freely. Look what Jesus says very carefully. The poor you always have, uh, but you'll always have me. Verse 8, she did what she could. She did what she could. Now, this is, right, there's a world of difference between the word should and the word could. Okay, I've realized I'm quite deep into the sermon to be having to get you to think, but think about this, right? Big difference between should and could. Should is a bad word. Nasty word. Should is a word that's full of duty. It's a word that contains guilt and induces shame. You should do better. You should try harder. You should give your money. You should, you should, you should. And many of us have lived our lives, and some of you will be here, loaded up with shoulds that just crush us. I should be doing that. I should be doing How often do we think this? Oh, I really should. I should be doing I know I should be doing I should be doing this. I should. We're obsessed with should. And it crushes us with guilt. Jesus doesn't say she did what she should. She said, he says she did what she could. And the word could is a word of freedom and joy. It's a word of choice and opportunity. Not what should you do, but what could you do. Are you sick? No one told this woman to give £20,000 worth of perfume. No one told her to. No one pinned her down and said, now nah, listen to me, Mary. Jesus did all that for you. You really should do something nice. No one did that. She came freely. That's what makes it beautiful. She, came, she thought of it. You can imagine her at home going, what could I do? What could I do? What could I do to express my love for Jesus? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the perfume. That's why Jesus looks and says, that is beautiful. Because she didn't have to. She chose to. Forced obedience, grudging duty, a sense of obligation and guilt is never pleasing to Jesus. It's not pleasing to Jesus. He doesn't want our forced obedience. He wants our free choice. Let me show you a quote. It's quite a long quote, so I'll put it up on the thing. This is from a guy called Spurgeon, who's an utter legend, who preached like just down at Elephant Castle. You know the big church with the big things? That was his church. Amazing, amazing history. Look, look what he said. He was preaching on this passage. I nearly just preached his sermon because <laughs> it was so good. But I, I thought I'd just show you one. But uh, look, look what he says on, on this issue. I am not going to stir you up, my fellow Christians, to do anything for Christ, for I fear to spoil the freeness of your love's life. I do not want to be pleading with you to enter into his service more fully, for the work of pressed men is never so much prized as that of happy volunteers. Yet as I love you, I would have you love your Lord more and more. It is so sweet to belong to Christ that the more fully we can belong to him, the more free we are. Right, here's his point. I'm not going to stand here and say, right, you must do more. You should be doing more. You should be doing this. That's not freedom. I want to present Christ to you and say, what could we do? She did what she could. What could we do? To so love him, to so extravagantly express our devotion for this man. It was beautiful because she acted freely. And it was beautiful, I'll put that back, it was beautiful because it was focused on his death. She made much of his death. 
she's pointing forward to where Mark's gospel is now heading. I don't think she understands the significance of this. I don't think she understands what she's doing. But look what Jesus says. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus is going to a cross to die. And he says, this woman, in her act of devotion, has made much of my death. She's pointed to my death. She's highlighted my death, my burial. And that is a beautiful thing. Because this act of this woman bears remarkable similarities to the act of Jesus. In the next chapter, in the next section, Jesus is going to say that his blood is poured out for the forgiveness of many. The woman poured out her perfume to the very last drop. Jesus poured out his blood to the very last drop. And he poured out his blood in order to pay the price to set us free. He poured out his life for all the times when I've wasted mine. For all the times when I failed to do, failed to live for God, Jesus poured out his life. Jesus says this act of the woman is beautiful because it makes much of my death. That's true beauty. And, And fourthly, do you notice this? Jesus says her act is beautiful because it has a lasting impact. The woman's invested everything in Jesus. And Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This woman is still known today. Think of all the countless human beings who've invested their lives in trying to make a name for themselves and trying to invest in something that will last and trying to achieve something. We don't know hardly any of their names. Andy Murray, bless him, getting knocked out of the Australian Open. You know, in a hundred years' time, no one's going to know who he is. But we know her. Because she's invested her life in a gospel, in a good news that will be preached to all the nations. She's invested her life in a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever makes it beautiful so let's bring all this together right as we finish can you see why jesus says this isn't a waste this is beautiful here's a woman who values jesus above all things who freely chooses to give to him who makes much of his death and who invests in something that lasts forever that is not a waste and in some ways i i want to lay this before you and say It starts with Jesus. It starts with our view of him. It starts with us being captivated by Jesus in the way that she was captivated by Jesus. Do you value him? Do you treasure him? Do you see him as the most worthy of all? When you understand that his death on the cross was for you, that's when we begin to be changed. And then it doesn't become a question of, oh, what, what do I have to give? What do I have to do? It becomes, what can I do? What can I give for a man like this? 
and I'm not going to prescribe it. Because I want you to choose. I want you to work it out. I want you to go from this place and say, Jesus, help me to live this life. A life of extravagant, devoted love. And when others look and say, I'm wasting my life. And when other people say, why on earth have they given up a career in that? Why on earth are they doing that? Why are they giving that? Why are they doing that? And when they mock and they say, that's a waste. I want you to know that Jesus sees it and he says, that's beautiful. When you decide to use your money or your time or, you know, you have an evening, you spend an evening praying and you think, well, what's the point of that? It's a waste. No, Jesus says it's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to extravagantly love him. What could we do? Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. Oh, just the beauty of this act. And Lord, we confess, I certainly confess, that I am far too obsessed with value and money and trying to fix immediate problems. And I fail to see the worth of Jesus. And I think if I'd been there that day, I think I would have said she'd wasted her money. And Father, we ask that you'd redefine a wasted life, redefine a valuable life. Help us to see that if we invest, as we invest our lives into this man, Jesus, not one drop of it is wasted. Not one drop. Jesus, thank you. You gave your life because because we don't live like this. Thank you that you love us. You forgive us. You pick us up. And then you say, come on, let's go again. Help us to live it this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to take some time to um, 